Amen. How great is our God. Thank you so much, worship team. Man, I love worship services like that where every single one of the songs is just declaring how great our God is, where we're not singing about what I'm feeling in the moment or what I'm going through. And I'm not saying there's not a place for songs like that, but man, I get built up when these songs just point us right back to where the Lord is. Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We're going to be spending most of the time in chapter 3. But let me start the sermon off by asking you a question. Let me just ask you this real quick. What do you hate about yourself? What do you hate about yourself? Isn't that a nice way to start the sermon off? Isn't that a fun way to, oh, it's going to be one of these sermons. Okay. Some of you, you know, you brought a friend today and you're like, now would be a great time to tell them, hey, this is our youth pastor. He's not the guy who normally speaks right here. Pastor Pat's the normal, the normal sermon giver. But, But no, seriously, I want to ask you the question, what is it in your life that you wish wasn't there? What do you hate about yourself? And I'm not talking about the weird skin on your elbows or the way that your hair won't fall a certain way. I'm talking about areas in your life where you're saying, man, I thought I would have been past this by now. Where if you went back to a younger version of yourself and you said, hey, where do you see yourself in 5, 10, 20, 30 years? Where you would have said, man, I didn't think I'd still be struggling with that. I didn't think that that would still be sitting right there. Maybe it's a short temper. Maybe it's a personality trait that you can't seem to overcome. Maybe you have these relationship patterns that you know really boils down to you and the way that you do things, but it's just this cycle and you know you're in this part of the cycle and before long you'll be back around in this side. Maybe there's some sort of a habit or addiction issue that you thought I'd be over this by now. I'm talking about the stuff that's in there that we don't necessarily want to open up and show people is in there, but the reality is, man, this is still here. And it seems like it shouldn't still be here, especially for those of us who know that there's freedom in Jesus, especially for those of us who say, man, we've been walking with God for so long. And you say, Pastor Bob, man, I'm a Christian. Shouldn't I be past this by now? I go to church. I pray. I read my Bible. I tithe. I volunteer in ministry. So why am I still here. Is it possible, and I'm just going to toss this out there, is it possible that our faith started out just white hot with Jesus? Oh, so good. But over time, it became more of a routine, a habit where we don't even realize I'm just kind of going through the motions at this point. This is just kind of what I do rather than a personal relationship. Is it possible that your faith was really someone else's faith and you were just along for the ride that you were with this group of people? Maybe it was mom and dad. Maybe it was a group of friends and then changes in life happen and they go this way and you go this way. And all of a sudden you realize like, man, things aren't the same as they were once upon a time. Maybe it's because it wasn't your relationship with Jesus. It was somebody else's. Is it possible that you're doing all these things and you don't know Jesus any better than you did a year ago? Well, I got good news for you. You're not alone. Like, it's nice to, if, even if I'm messed up, it's nice to know there's somebody else that's messed up with me, right? Like, I want to know that I'm not the only guy. If you could be standing where I'm standing right now and see all of the heads nodding, or even better, the ones that are refusing to make eye contact right now, you would know, hey, good news, you're in a room full of people just 
like you. And so let's take a second and let's lighten up for a minute. Rather than getting a little bit too heavy in this, man, let's just talk about it. Let's talk easy about it. Let's talk open about it. And here's the thing the Apostle Paul knew that even way back when he wrote the Bible, or the Bible, when he wrote the book of Colossians, the letter to the church in the city called Colossae that we now call the book of Colossians, when he, through the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, penned these words, he knew that you weren't the only one that was going to be there like that. He knew that there is no sin that has overtaken you except such as is common to man. And so he wrote chapter 3 of Colossians as basically practical Christian living. This is where I'm supposed to go. But before we jump into chapter 3, I want you to see what it says in the last verse of chapter 2. When we think, why am I still here? Here's what it says. Colossians 2.23. These things. Now, because we didn't just read all of Colossians 2, let me sum up for you. These things, religious activities, rule keeping, self-deprivation, pious deeds, the things we do because we know we're Christians and Christians are supposed to do it and others are doing them, so we do them too. These things, the routine teens that we're in and the good stuff that we do, these things indeed have an appearance, you hear that word? Have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion. They have an appearance of wisdom in false humility and in the neglect of the body, but I need you to hear this. They are of no, that means zero, zilch, nil, Nada, nothing, zero, no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Those things that we say, I'm still struggling with it, but I go to church. I'm still struggling with it, but I read my Bible. I'm still struggling with it, but I do these things. These things are all good things and necessary things and don't stop doing these things. But understand, those things on their own have no value in helping you to overcome this. And so this is what he says in verse 1. He continues it. This is an awkward place for there to be a chapter break. The chapters and verses were installed in the Bible hundreds of years after the Bible was written so that we could find things easily. And every once in a while, they stuck it where a thought was being continued and they shouldn't have broke it up. And here's one of those. So because... Because these things are of no value, Paul goes on to say in verse 1 of chapter 3, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Paul says, if we are Christians, then we have been raised with Christ. We're not who we used to be. We're born again. So we should act like the risen Christ. I love what Bible commentator David Guzik says about this. He says, When Jesus rose from the dead, he walked out of the tomb. We should too. We don't live there anymore. I don't have to stay where I used to be. He said when Jesus rose from the dead, he spent his time on earth being with and ministering to his disciples. So should we. We are meant to love and serve one another. When Jesus rose, he lived in supernatural power with the ability to do impossible things. So should we. Through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we should be able to do what was once impossible. When Jesus rose, he looked forward to heaven knowing he would be there soon enough. So should we. We are citizens of heaven and should live like it. What Paul is saying here is you don't have to be there anymore. 
What Paul is saying here is you have been given new life in Christ. That if you have submitted yourself to not only Jesus, your Savior, the one who forgives your sins, but Jesus, your Lord, the one who I'm going to follow, then there is hope for you because just like Jesus didn't wake up and stay in that grave, Jesus didn't come back to life and stay where there was a stone in front of the tomb. He came walking out of there and he left that behind him, moving on to what was next. He says, so should you. So how do we do it? I get what I should do, Pastor Bob. Give me not just the what, give me the how. Oh, good news. That's the rest of the sermon. You got outlines when you came in that on them it says three steps. Now, I want to be very clear. This is not three steps that is like step one and spend some time on step one and stay in step and then eventually get to step two. That's not what this is. Steps one, two, and three happen pretty much simultaneously with the only thing it needs to start with step one. Here's what verse two says. Set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. Step one, set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. Paul says this. Here's the first thing in your thing. Your thing? Your outline. Look up. Three steps. Number one, look up. He says, set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. And here's, here's the thing. I think we know sometimes we get distracted by what's going on around us with just our daily life. And we know the areas in our life where, man, I need to get rid of that because it's not pleasing to Jesus. But I think sometimes we think that our eyes are set on things above when they're not. He says, set your minds on things above. Look up. So many times we don't focus on the things above, but on the things that come from above. Let me explain this to you a little bit. I think when we're supposed to be looking at Jesus, looking to Jesus, really, we're just looking at what Jesus has. Hey, what you got in the fridge? You know, what can God give me? What will God do for me today? What can I get from scripture? What should I ask Jesus to do when I pray? I can look at the way that I read the Bible is, am I just trying to get this so that I can get something out of it? I can get that charge of who God spoke to me. Or am I looking at this as instruction? Lord, how can I better serve you? How can I better know you? Jesus, I want to know not just about you. I want to know you. How can I do that through your word? Because we can read the word in a way where it's just ticking a box so that we can say, yeah, I did my devos today and feel better about ourselves. That's not looking to things above. That's still looking to us. We're just doing it with good things. I think sometimes when we pray, Lord, will you do this for this person and do this for this person? Will you provide for me here and will you do this? And and I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm not saying Jesus is very clearly like you have not because you ask not like we're supposed to come to him. But is the purpose of prayer just to get what I can from Jesus? Let me, let me flip this and illustrate it in a way that maybe will help it come home. You know, I've been married to my wife for 13 just amazing years. I just, oh, I did it right, man. She is so amazing. But what if I viewed that marriage as just what can I get from Pam? What if I spent all of my time with her wondering what's she going to make me for dinner? Did she do the laundry? Is she going to take care of me? Man, my feet hurt, honey. Can you rub my feet tonight? What if I spent every waking moment, all of that relation, just about what I can get from her? And what if she was doing the same thing with it? Sadly, that's why so many relationships are so messed up and why so many of them don't work because we're looking at what we can get out of people. But we do the same thing with the Lord. Is he just Santa God? 
Gimme, 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 gimme. The Apostle Paul says, set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. Here's what the things above are. Number one, set your mind on Jesus, the person of Jesus, the nature of Jesus, who Jesus is. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you. I don't want to just know about my wife. She's great and it's fun to learn about, but I want to know her. I don't want to just spend time learning about her. I want to be in her presence. I want to be with her and I want to serve her. I want to help her. I want to be there for her. I want to cook for her. I don't necessarily want to do the dishes for her, but I will from time to time because I love her. When I'm looking to Jesus, am I saying, Jesus, What can you give me? What can you change about my life? Jesus, here's a hard situation that I'm in. Can you fix that? Okay, that's fine. And there's, that's naturally going to happen. We do that with people that we love. There are times where I say, honey, my feet are killing me. Could you help me out? That's okay. But is that all I'm doing? Is that the primary thing that I'm doing? Set your minds on things above means don't just, don't just look to Jesus, the person of Jesus. But here's the thing, God, what are your plans? God, what do you want? God, what do you want from me? God, what do you want from this? Rather than me telling you, here's what I think you should do. God, what do you want to do? Didn't Jesus say, when you pray, pray like this? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. What? Some of you know it. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Man, that's looking up. That's setting my mind at God. Here's my day. Here's my calendar. Here's what I want to accomplish. Here's what I have to accomplish. But this is your day, Lord. What do you want to accomplish? What do you have planned? You want to start the process of why am I still here? Why am I still? Man, it starts by looking up. Lord, what do you want? Jesus, the things above, Jesus, God's kingdom, God's plan. I love this verse in Matthew 17, 8. It's talking of a couple of the disciples. It says, and when they looked up, they saw only Jesus. Now, I'm going to be real clear. That verse is taken out of context. It's talking about something much bigger right there. But it's such a good reminder to me that when they looked up, everything else that was going on didn't matter. They saw only Jesus. Step one, look up. Because when I look up, I remember who God is. I remember what he's done for me. I remember what his plans are for me. I remember what he's working out. And I remember what my role is. When I look up and I focus on God, it's easy to avoid the things that drag me down, the things that I hate that seem to be in me. Step one, look up. Step two, we're going to jump down to verse five. Colossians 3, 5 says, therefore, put to death Your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put to death. Step one is look up. Step two, kill them dead. (laughs) Kill them dead. I don't know that that's ever been on an outline here this morning, but uh, I'm putting it on there today because I want it to stick. 
kill them dead. How do y'all feel about spiders? Like, what is the general consensus in this room? I'm just going to tell you, like, God doesn't make mistakes, but I still don't understand why spiders exist. Like, I know he has a plan and he has a purpose. But let me tell you, when I see one of those, I don't ignore it. I don't think maybe it will go away on its own. I don't think let's just kind of freeze it there for a minute. I don't just put like a little paper cup over it and leave paper cups around my house where the spider now can't get out. I hate spiders. I don't want them around. And so when I come across a spider, I don't just kill that thing. I kill that thing so dead that we need to get cleaning products to change what just happened to the paint on the wall. I might need to get spackled by the time I'm done with how hard I'm going to hit that spider because I don't want it coming back. My old pastor, Pastor Ray, uh, once upon a time told a story. He said, it would be like this. If when you were driving by, you did that rolling stop, you know, you see the stop sign, but you just kind of nothing's coming. And so you roll through there. And so the police officer pulls you over and says, do you know why I pulled you over? And you, in a rare moment of honesty, said, well, I assume it was the stop sign, but I rolled through it. And the police officer at that point starts hitting you repeatedly. And you say, stop, stop, stop. And the police officer says, do you want me to stop or do you want me to slow down? He told that story like 15 years ago. It's still up here in my head. Paul says, put to death. Man, there is not a whole lot that you can know about a dead person other than the fact that they're not getting up and coming back. That's it, man. Death carries with it that finality is what he's talking about. And so what are the things that he's talking about when he says these members that need to put, be put to death? He talks about a couple of things very specifically. And so let's look at them. He says, when he says, kill them dead, how do I do this? I got to identify them. I got to recognize what they're going to do. I got to carve them out and throw them away. I got to starve them so they can't grow. What are they? He says this, fornication. That's not a word that we use a whole lot outside of church anymore. What it means is sexual immorality or any intercourse outside of biblical marriage. But Paul goes beyond that. He says uncleanness. Uncleanness takes it a step farther. Now, I'm a youth pastor, and so I I deal with youth who struggle with things that youth struggle with. And it's a joke to sit here and think that that stops when youth is over with. But this particular topic comes up quite a bit. And it is shocking to me. Well, no, it isn't. But it is comical to No, it isn't. It is common to me. How many people, when they ask the question, hey, what is sin and what isn't, want to find out how close can I get, I'm making some of you nervous now, and not go to hell? (laughs) Like, it's basically, where does it become sin? Well, it's very clear here. When he says fornication, it means anything physical outside of biblical marriage. But when it says uncleanness, well, it goes beyond that brand of sin. It means anything outside the moral perfection of God. Does that make sense? And so if you're worried about it, just avoid it. It's pretty much that simple. The Bible says the marriage bed is not defiled. And so outside of that, Paul says you need to put these things to death because you need to understand they're they're trying to kill you. You have an enemy, a very real enemy, who wants to seek, kill, and destroy. I have an enemy, a very real enemy, who wants to seek, kill, and destroy. And gang, I've just watched. I'm not that old. I'm going to be 40 in a couple months. (laughs) Sister Sharp, 
I love you so much. She just told me I'm old. You're not wrong. I haven't been around that long, but I have enough experience to see how this does kill people dead. I've seen so many people crippled and caught. It was wild when Pastor Pat said, will you guys pray? Pray for those people who are caught in bondage. A name popped into my head that I haven't thought of since I don't even know when. A guy I went to high school with. You're talking a minute ago now. And yet what I was praying for, I see he's caught. And you know where it started? Because I was in high school with him when it started. Put it to death, man, because it wants to put you to death. He says passion. Put to death passion. Isn't passion a good thing? Well, passion can be a good thing. But here's one thing that I found out about passion. Passion has a way of blinding us to the impact of our decisions and actions. Passion in the right place is great. Passion in the wrong place leads to all kinds of bad. He says, put to death evil desire. What is evil desire? It's selfishness that doesn't account for God's plan, purpose, or will. He says, put to death covetousness. That's a fancy churchy way of saying, I want that. Like what that person has, I want that. He says, put that to death. Do you know how many people are just trapped because of what they want and don't have? Rather than being where they are, they're constantly where they want to be. And man, I see people that talk about this like it's a great thing. I don't see it that way. It's amazing how simply desiring something can plant seeds in our brains that take us to places we shouldn't go. And it happens on several levels. We become dissatisfied with what God has given us and what we have and with what we're doing because we want what they have. And I miss what God wants to do right now. Sometimes because I'm wondering what God wants to do a year from now. That's why looking up is the first step. When I look up, it aligns me with God. When I look up and I say, Lord, your will be done, it helps me to realize those things aren't helping me. Simply put, a Christian should not be comfortable living with habitual sins. John 8, 36 says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful. Mm who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Every one of these destructive desires and behaviors are a result of having our eyes on us and on the world around us instead of looking up. He goes on in verses 8 through 10. He says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Don't lie to one another since you've put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So Paul takes it even a step further. Sometimes we look at things as like the big things and the little things, right? That's the big sin. These are the little sin. Paul says, man, they're going to get you, though. There's no big sin or little sin. They may have different outcomes here on earth, but eternally, you're on the same level. And so he, he says anger. Anger really is just the result of things not going the way I wanted, right? And I hate that because it makes me sound like I'm a four-year-old throwing a tantrum. But at the end of the day... 
Isn't that what's happening? I'm angry because I didn't get my way. So again, if I'm looking up, then I'm not looking for my way. I'm looking for the Lord's way. It's going to help me deal with the anger. Wrath. That violent outburst when anger boils over. Might be physical, might be verbal, might be nonverbal. Paul says, put them away. Get rid of them. Malice. Actions meant to harm. Blasphemy deals with speech that damages a name or reputation. The way that I talk. And it primarily deals with the way that we, the things that we say against God. Filthy language. It's amazing how quickly our Christian witness can be undone by the words we choose or by the jokes we tell. And lies. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That means any lie is against the very nature of Jesus. Jesus told a group of people, you are of your father, the devil, the father of lies. You can't expect him to not judge that. It's contrary to who he is. In verse 10, we get step three. And if put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So look up, kill him dead, and finally put this on. Hey, try this on real quick, right? You got access to something that you didn't have before. Because we are new creations in Christ, we have the right and ability to walk free as new creations, no longer slaves to the things that once controlled us. We have access to things in Christ that we didn't before we knew him. I have access to that freedom in Christ. I was once a slave to sin, but I'm not anymore. If who the son sets free is free indeed, then he says to put this on. In verses 12 and 13, he says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on. Hear this? Put this on. Here, try this on. Hey, this jacket might fit you just fine. What does he say to put on? Put it on. Because why? It's in his closet and he's willing to let you wear it. Put this on. He says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. Because we're in him and because we're new creations, because we're looking up and because we're putting to death the old things, we can start to put on the new things. What new things? Tender mercies. Man, doesn't that just sound good? Tender mercies. I want that. Jesus was compassionate. Be like Jesus. When I'm focused on me, People who do things differently than I would frustrate me. When I'm focused on Jesus, I start to see people the way that he does. Prayer is the key to compassion in your life. When I'm looking up and I'm saying, Lord, your will be done. In those moments where I could grow frustrated, where I could grow angry, where once upon a time that old man rose up. And there's anger and there's malice and there's frustration. All of a sudden, because I've been looking up and because I'm walking with Jesus, I can put on tender mercies. Lord, what do you see in this situation? Prayer is the key to compassion. He says, put on kindness, 
Jesus was kind. Be like Jesus. When I'm focused on me, my needs are first. But Jesus came to serve, right? Didn't it say the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many? Jesus served. Jesus was kind. Be like Jesus. When I'm focused on Jesus, I can be kind like Jesus. When I'm saying, Lord, what is your plan? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he starts to birth these things in me. He starts to grow these things in me to where gentleness and compassion become part of my nature because he's living in me and it's part of his nature. It's like Jesus saying, try this on. When you're spending time with him, when you're close with him, kindness all of a sudden is an option. Paul says, put on humility. Jesus was humble. Be like Jesus. Focusing on Jesus will produce natural humility, not false humility. When I remember who Jesus is, when what's before my eyes, when I'm looking up, is this is the God whom I serve. How do you get proud around that? How do you think you got anything to brag about around that? He says, put on meekness. Jesus was meek. Be like Jesus. We get meekness wrong sometimes. The Bible says the meek will inherit the earth. We think that the meek will inherit the scraps or whatever's left. We think of meekness and weakness as being the same thing. They're not. I heard it described once as steel wrapped in velvet. Soft on the outside, but immovable. Knowing Jesus means I know who I am in Jesus. Means I know what is true in Jesus. So I can be kind, humble, and merciful, as well as honest, immovable, and strong. Be meek like Jesus. Paul says, put on long-suffering. Jesus was patient. Be patient like Jesus. If I'm focused on Jesus, I'll realize how patient he is with me. It'll make it easier to be patient with others. Which brings us to the final one that Paul says. Put on forgiveness. Put on forgiveness. Forgiveness can be hard. And there's a, an illustration that Jesus gives where there was a man who was forgiven a great debt that he could never pay back. And then he went out and after this guy per, forgave him this great debt, he forgives another person's debt, which was significantly smaller. And sometimes we look at that and we think, so forgive because you've been forgiven much, but it's a small thing that you're now forgiving somebody else. But if you really study what that passage is, you're talking about three months worth of a salary salary that, that this man was given. Three months worth of wages. That was not a small thing that this other man owed him. But it was small compared to what God had forgiven him. I know forgiveness can be hard because it feels like and that's a big thing. We're not talking about small potato stuff that you're telling me to just move past. And I'm not telling you just move past. I've said this before in here. 
Forgiveness is standing there bleeding and looking at the person holding the knife and saying to them, you don't owe me anything. Will you go to God and say, Lord, I need healing. And you let Jesus be the one who heals you. It doesn't mean that the person holding the knife is left off the hook. It means they're let off of your hook. They're still on God's hook. They're accountable for their sin. And God's mercy is so much greater than your mercy, but God's wrath is so much greater than your wrath. They're not getting away with anything. So stop thinking of it that way and say, Lord, because you have forgiven me of so much, because of this mountain of sin in my own life, as I focus on God, as I remember Jesus, what you've done in me, what you've forgiven in me, it's huge what they did to me. And I'm still bleeding and I'm wounded and it hurts. Lord, I'm going to trust you with this too. Because I'm looking unto you, Lord, as I ask, what's your will to be done? What's your plan? Lord, what do you want to do with this? Because I'm bleeding over here. Forgive. Jesus forgave. Be like Jesus. Verse 16, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. This is important, and this is one of the keys. It might not be one of the steps, but it's one of the keys. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. If you don't know the word of God, then you don't know Christ. You're going to get deceived and you're going to start believing in another Jesus, in a fake Jesus, in a Jesus that is unbalanced, and eventually in Jesus that's created in your image. And what we decide, I think this is how I want my Jesus to be. It's crucial that we know the word of God so that we can identify the nature and the character of God so that we can see what he did because if if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then what he did then, he's still doing it now. So I can know him. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. When my focus is on Jesus, it changes my heart. It changes my nature. When I look up, oh, something happens. It's way beyond religion. It's way beyond what I deny myself or what I try to add to myself. Something happens on an intimate and personal level. And it helps me to put those things to death. gives me the grace to be able to accept it when Jesus says here put this on and I can start doing that and the result man the fruit of the spirit joy peace he says teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts toward the Lord. One of the things I love about worship, one of the things I love about music, 
music has a way of changing an atmosphere, changing an attitude. Have you noticed that? Worship is more than music. Worship is a response to what God has done, saying, Lord, here I am. And I found when we worship, it helps me to look up. Because I might have walked in here with a whole bunch of stuff. But man, when that band gets going and those lyrics are right on, oh, I can look up. I don't know if you're here today and you're still who you were 20 years ago because you don't know Jesus in that way. He's never been a personal God. If that's you, man, please, after the service, come and talk to one of us pastors. We want to walk with you. We want to help you to get to know Jesus, this Jesus that's so good, this Jesus that gives so much. We want to introduce you. We want to get you a Bible and help you find your way. Maybe you're saying, I'm where I was all those years ago and I'm still there because of exactly what we've talked about, where, man, my habits, they're routines now. I'm not looking up. Rather than saying, everybody, come on up here, because it could be all of us. And while there's room, and while you're certainly welcome to come up here, I'm going to say this instead. Can we just apply step one together? Can we stand? Can we look up? As the band plays this song, yours, can we focus on Jesus as we sing these words about who he is and what he's done and how the praise belongs to him? Can we sing of the goodness of God? Can we block out everything around us? Can we ignore our neighbors? We still got 10 minutes before noon hits. We're good. Can we spend some time looking up and from there we can move on to killing them dead and to putting it on but let's start together looking up come on